everyone, and welcome to episode 139 of the Fun With Cars podcast Arama. I'm trying to change it up still. I'm Robin Warner, and we're covering from Italy, Monza, the place. Okay, who are you? Yeah! <laughs> I am Jim Lau with, uh, yes, joining, joining you as always for coverage of the Monza uh, well, the Italian Grand Prix from Monza. But Thank you. One of the classics. Already said that, by the way. The most, uh, you know, because I'm amazing. What is it? The most run a venue of, of Formula One ever because they've had a, a British Grand Prix since forever, but it hasn't always been Silverstone. Right. And it's all this also. It's like all but one Italian Grand Prix have been from Monza. So it's the, I guess, the venue with the most history still has the old classic banked track and all the uh, some other. Cool it's, well, bits it still to has it, it there, right. and that's actually circuit, yeah. that's actually what I was going to say is it's actually a different track, largely, but the same location. Right. So. A bit Nurburgring-ish. In that, Nurburgring-ish. Like, the cool track is still there. We don't use it, but we go right next door. Right, right. And, I mean, Silverstone, you can almost make that argument, too, if you look at the Silverstone of 1950 versus the Silverstone of now. It's pretty darn different. Right. And they, it's like they use the runways before, and then they use the access roads, and they change the access roads all around. And so, it's it, yeah, it's, a, it's all different, but at the same location. But, anyway, we had, um, you know, for all the buildup about how epic the venue is and for just kind of all the history and the whole craziness um you know it didn't end up as being that exciting of a race i mean we had vettel just vetteling it and going off into uh into the into the sunset still he had some issues had some gremlins he had to work through but um mechanical probably not emotional um although maybe yeah both. i would say the hardest part of the race for him was after the checkered flag and uh being on the podium with the tifosi Giving them, giving him a piece of their mind, and uh, collectively it was pretty clear how the Tifosi felt about everything. Although luckily he had John Surtees up there who totally had his back, you know. Yeah. Kind of. Totes. Sort of. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's it was a very uh, still awesome race to see because the car still, while not um, at the V10 craziness level um, that they were, what almost ten years ago now, but. Uh, very, very quick. Still over, well over 150 mile an hour average speed. And uh, so even if the race isn't going terribly excitingly, it still goes quickly. And uh, that was definitely a, the case again today. And Vettel did a really good job. He won the race, but he had solid pressure from Alonso. And Alonso, once again, done a, did a fantastic job. There was a lot of um, press about how well Alonso did at the start of the spa event to uh, quickly move his way up from, I think it was ninth, to, and he eventually was second. Well, he did something, in many ways, I would say more impressive going from fifth to second today. Yeah, and I think the real story of the the big drama of the weekend was in qualifying uh, at the end of Q2 when neither Kimi Raikkonen nor Lewis Hamilton advanced to Q3. True. That was the other part. They took themselves out of the equation for the you know the top five, top six spots um, and, and of course we had the, uh, the surprise of Nico Hulkenberg and the Sauber up in uh, third spot, yeah. um, which, which didn't last forever, but he did end up coming fifth. So good job for him. But that was what was Actually, weird about it. Definitely want to talk about that a little more. Yeah. But it was so. It was you know we had Vettel, Alonso, we had you know with with Massa right there who did actually outqualify Alonso as well. That's right. Um, but uh, so it was a different different battle. You know, different guys he having to do with and uh, without having Raikkonen up there, who's usually you know uh, just one of the guys up there scrapping near the, near the yeah, front, and right. Hamilton as well, who you know a lot of times will qualify well, but then the tires won't hold up so well. So that'll be just another factor in the whole strategy. So having those guys battling farther down the field um, did change the dynamic of the uh, of the front of the race. 
And and yeah, but we saw you know some really racy moves from Weber for one, who you know we haven't we haven't always seen that, which was um, so nice to see. It'd been right. a little while. Um, and you know, especially uh, Weber Alonso having a you know just there's you know a good build up into a solid proper pass and good on track action and so on. Um, no uh, craziness or controversial um, passes onto the onto the grass onto the curbing. That's something we've seen the last few years, especially uh, Alonso v Vettel and Vettel v Alonso, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Uh, none of that. I guess there were some. Although some... I'm sorry, it, it, this just seems like a really good point to bring up. There there was talk about. Um going four wheels off and how that was going to be judged because these stewards have kind of been inconsistent with how harshly they treat that. And I felt like this was a race where they let a lot of that slide again. Um, I don't, I mean, I didn't see four off maneuvers that I thought made it past. I mean, I think they just, they set up the expectation of where, what are we calling, you know, within the bounds of the track and what are we not? And in, in years past, and that's where the confusion is. It's like, like Probably, we talked about yeah. from spa, you know, everyone goes off a certain way at the exit of Our Rouge, you know, through the second part of Our Rouge and whatever. And it's just like, that's just the track. I mean, of course, the lines are where the lines are, and technically the lines are the edge of the track, but everyone does it, so no one's really gaining advantage. There's not a safety problem doing it there. And that's that. That's where the problems are, is that gray area. Um, so with, uh, you know, ahead of this weekend, there was a part of the second chicane where, in general, everyone would run off, off the edge of the track and just run wide there, and that's just how everyone did it. But uh, specifically to try to avoid this confusion, uh, the stewards said, okay, this is not how we're going to do this. We, you know, four wheels off here, we mean it. And I think throughout the rest of the weekend, everyone just kind of went with that and it was okay. So I don't, you know, I guess the good news is they set up the expectation ahead of any problems. So it wasn't a case where we had, you know, driver v. driver and, you know, we had a problem and we had to then investigate and had to then decide, make a judgment call. It was like, hey, before we have any issues, before we even have a race, these are the boundaries and people stuck to that. And I think it seemed to work. Yeah, that's funny because I definitely... Whenever we were watching uh, close action, a battle between uh, Weber and Alonzo or whatever, I I swear I saw at least once or twice uh, actions where the cars in the background were, well, definitely four wheels off. I felt like, okay, well, how harshly are they treating these things? So maybe it was a simple matter of flying under the radar, so to speak, like if you weren't a car that was getting enough attention in any way, that it didn't matter. I don't know. It seemed to me like there were four-wheel-off moments as far as the safety stewards are concerned, and then they weren't judged. But I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing um, from the leaders, you know, no dramatic, um, you know, real big dramatic problems. I mean, the big the big crash today was uh, Paul DeResta into the back of Romain Grosjean. Right, and big is definitely a relative term. Wasn't that big. Right, so that, that was the biggest event. We'd had no safety cars, um, no crazy uh, Tonio Liuzzi going nuts into the side of everyone. <laughs> you know, that was a crazy one. That's, had, a, that's a good one. We've had issues at Monza, um, but not, not, not so much this year. It was uh, a fairly clean race, like you said. And, uh, you know, so there was this debate on tires of who can do, uh, you know, can you do a one-stop, is it worth it, versus two-stop strategies. And, uh, you know, it all kind of just came unglued for Raikkonen, especially early on uh, when he had to pit on, like, lap two or even one or two. It was very early on um, to, uh, to, for just a tire going down, a slow puncture. Right. And, uh, and then that sort of, you know, put him on the back foot. So um, pretty, pretty impressively, uh, Raikkonen was able to make his way back up to 11th spot, um, incidentally exactly where he started. But it's like after having a slow puncture and having to get off of his you know, optimum strategy and so on, you know, he could have been a factor for something, you know, fifth, sixth, somewhere in the race at the end of it. Um, but unfortunately, it was not. 
um, which is which again is, is disappointing to see after his you know massive you know the break failure from Spa and the early retirement there, um, and uh, and then you know at the end of the race it sounded like the the Red Bulls were kind of falling apart you know they had they had to short shift in certain gears and I think on one car it was sort of short shift in second and third and on the other car it was short shift fifth and sixth right and uh, it's sort of like okay they have different transmission gremlins that they're dealing with um, you, know, you know but uh, obviously it was you know first and third. Uh, coming home for the Red Bulls, so it was nice to see Weber on the podium. This is, I guess, his best Monza result. And uh, you know, there's on, on the podium, of course, it's it's Vettel, who's ever you know all the all the Ferrari fans just booing and and you know singing songs and kind of making uh, making it clear that that's not their but their guy Alonso. They were very happy for, of and course. really, I have to say, actually on both sides, pretty unprofessional way. The fans, I thought, got just a little bit too emotional about this. It's like, okay, you just saw an incredible race. These are the three best guys here. Show a little bit more respect. But then also, Vettel's response to it could have very easily been keep it quick, largely ignore it, and move on. And he did pretty much the exact opposite. Yeah, I mean, the, the podium got weird, like you say, with uh, with John Surtees anyway, who sort of had, hadn't done this before and was a yeah. bit confused about the timing. He's like, and kind why of are they it. booing? <laughs> right, so, uh, so you know, John Alacy took over after the first interview, and, and yeah, there's there was, you know, that, that could have been more succinct uh, in several ways and, and wasn't. Agreed. But, um, but you know, then so then that was after Alonzo, of course, got all, you know, all kinds of cheers, and everybody was real happy, even though he was, came second. Um, but then Weber just you know, did the, did the right thing. It was a very exactly. quick answer. Uh, you know, had some issues, but made it through. Happy to be in third. And sort of, this is my farewell. Uh, this is my last time in F1 car to Monza, so it's kind of special. And thanks, everybody. And the crowd was kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, yeah I, right. I, I like Fair that enough. guy. Cool. You know, he's not he's not winning over Ferraris and whatever. He's doing his like, So it was just that a lot more sort of personable way to... Uh, exactly. And also, I mean, it's not Vettel's fault that he's built the relationship. He's built the um, uh, reputation that he has. He it does really well, and he has the personality that he does, and it just doesn't tend to jive with Italian fans in particular. But more to the point, looking at the results now, Sebastian Vettel now has secured 222 points towards the 2013 Drivers' World Championship. Second place, and now pretty comfortably so, uh, Fernando Alonso with 169 Math tells me that is 53 points. So we're now solidly above and beyond two two race finishes um, uh, ahead of, in the championship. That's a very solid lead. Yeah, we are now to the point in the season where people are not mathematically eliminated yet, but practically, you know, like, right. okay, it's if Valtteri Bottas wins every race and no one else finishes, okay, whatever. But, you know, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and actually, so Hamilton came out. Um, so Hamilton is third in the championship. That's I mean, right. This, he's not way back there, but he's got 141 points, which is a third fair... in the championship in a Mercedes. Right. I mean, that's but, yeah, well ahead of the McLarens, might we might add. But uh, he's actually at one point in the weekend said after the after the result, my my title hopes are now over. Um, and then shortly thereafter said, I didn't really mean to say over. I mean, I'm still going to keep fighting because it's it's sort of a stupid question. I mean, we've talked about right. this with these interviews and stuff. It's like, oh, Vettel's not thinking about the championship. It's like, you can't not think about the championship. Exactly. You know, that's, that's just a false, you know, just statement. Well, but it's like say, anyone having any kind of job and saying, oh, that person's not thinking about their paycheck. It's like, well, maybe – Maybe not. I like, mean, that's, not that's always second, there. But, but yeah, right. they do. They would think about it if it wasn't coming. If it comes down <laughs> to the dynamics of yeah, what you're doing, and uh, and then and, you know, I think so. The, the idea is, you know, 
Hamilton's being realistic about the fact that, okay, if you look at the path that Vettel and Red Bull are on, the path that Ferrari is on, how their ability to, you know, get good results and so on, that it is very, very unlikely that Hamilton will end up with more points than either Alonso or Vettel at the end of the season. Like, that's a very realistic thing to say. Right. But to make that extension to say, oh, my title fight is over, then the follow-up question is, well, what does that mean? Do you not care anymore? Right. And you can't say that. You know, you have to be the team. You have to keep pushing for the sponsors, for the team, for your own driver sanity. I mean, that's the whole thing of racing. It's just not like, well, well I got a couple rounds to go. I'm just going to sit this one out or I'm just going to cruise to be easy. You know, even if, okay, there's, there's a difference in, in exactly kind of how you make a decision from one, one split second on the track to the next. Um, but it, at the same time, it's like, okay, so he sort of backed down from that. I think probably at the team's uh, kind of like, now, what do you mean when you say the title is over? It's like, no, 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 I'm still pushing, I'm still racing, I'm still a racer, blah, blah, blah. So that was just a, a little bit of uh, a little bit dumb. But Well, let's just uh, real quickly run down this list here. So Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, 1-2. Lewis Hamilton is in third with 141 points. Kimi Raikkonen, fourth with 134. Mark Webber, fifth with 130. Now, I would say at the moment, um, I'm, we're certainly not claiming that Alonso is done with second, and that's the end of it, too. But it is over uh, a race win apart from third place in Hamilton. So there's a little bit of a comfort zone there. But then third, fourth, fifth, that's all very close in terms of points. Right. And then sixth um, sixth, point, sixth place, he's a little bit on his own, uh, Nico Rosberg. Um, in seventh, Felipe Massa, 79 points. It's still pretty poor compared to his teammate. But it is better than it has been in the past. And then eighth, ninth, tenth, we start getting into a different category here, Romain Grosjean, Jensen Button, and uh, Paul Resta. Right. I mean, and then you get 11th place, for example, with 25 points uh, for Adrian Sutil. You know, that's a race win. That's the point where, like, if some, you know, some streak of craziness happens and somebody, you know, one of these mid-pack guys ends up on, on the, you know, with a win or with a podium, that's enough to really shake up that, uh, that middle zone of, uh, of points. And, and, for example, um, I mean, Hulkenberg is in 14th spot. You know, he just got fifth place today yeah. and, uh, and a handful of points, and he's still, you know, that's only 17 for the season. So, yeah, these mid-pack guys, there's going to be certainly some jostling around as, uh, as you know, unexpected or expected, you know, good and bad results happen Well, what there. is fifth place? Because first, 25, second, 17, third, I think, is 12. No, third is 15? It, well, no, it's something like that. Fourth, fifth, we were talking about close to around 10 points for fifth. Yeah, right? fifth place is, yeah, 10 points. 10 points. It. So think about think about it, that point of view. Hulkenberg just more than doubled yeah. than his total point scores. And if you look at if you look at uh, where he would have been, it only moved him up a little bit in the championship, but uh, done very well. And let's look at it a slightly different way. Hulkenberg's been been in the Sauber. The Sauber has struggled. Um, Daniel Ricciardo has been in the STR, which has been on par a better better car, I think. And he is only one point behind Daniel Ricciardo, and I think that's a telling statistic as well. Something tells me that next year Daniel Ricciardo might <laughs> might have the opportunity to do a little bit better than that, but you know, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that 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 may be a thing. Um, we certainly talked about that on the uh, on the Facebook page and so on, and we might as well have a brief conversation about it here as well. Yeah, but um, or a long one, one of those two. Options. Yeah, but so to, to wrap up the uh, the championship uh, standings for drivers. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I do. Th- it seems like Rosberg is kind of on his own there in uh, in sixth. I mean, there's sort of the the top guys, um, and then there's Rosberg, and then there's sort of the 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 rest. And you know, Massa, of course, being seems to be the best of the rest. Uh, Grosjean could end up, uh, you know, with enough points in coming past him, but I kind of doubt it. I think that sort of six, seven, eight is uh, is pretty well set in there. 
And what's wild is that, that you know, behind them are both McLarens. I mean, Jensen only yeah. 48 points for the McLaren in ninth. And then, uh, and then Checo Perez back there in, uh, in 12th with only 18 points. It's like, you know, kind of wild uh, just how far back those guys are. And, uh, and then, you know, the Force Indias mixed in there, STRs and, and so on down the grid. So, uh, yeah, it does, it, you know, of course we don't want to, I guess, prematurely uh, call anything uh, where it is now, but it's just all but a, uh, a, you know, a Vettel fourth championship in a row. And the uh, Constructors' Championship is just sort of even worse uh, of, <laughs> uh, if you're not a Red Bull fan. Um, where just uh, right now, but for second place, though, for Ferrari has 248 points. Mercedes, 245 I mean that's that's the interesting battle. That's the close right, battle, and right. it's hard to say because it's sometimes you know there's a stronger one driver is stronger than another, or a good result or bad result and whatever. Um, that's that's really where the uh, uh, where the interest is. And then Lotus with 191 points behind them. Um, if all those stars aligned perfectly for Lotus to, to improve, certainly they could catch up, but that seems unlikely. That's probably pretty much where they're going to stand. Uh, and then there's just this huge drop back to McLaren, and then there's the rest of the field. So um, you know things are really starting to kind of get. Uh, put into place for uh, what's going to happen here. And we don't have this, you know, like we've had a couple years ago, down to the wire, um, you know, any one of three different guys could could be champion at the yeah. very last race, on the very last lap even. You know, we've had some amazing finishes, and uh, this this is not that. No. So, and this is, I mean, that that's something we can blame Vettel for. I mean, that, that, that's Vettel's fault. I mean, whatever. And that's okay. Don't blame the guy for it, but it is his fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's, I think um, a a serious thing, right? Where that's okay. Are the are the balance for the the point spread? Is that the right balance that we're getting still? Um, you know, is it? Uh, are we doing the right things with the uh, you know the the budgets and entire testing and all that? I mean, that's there's there are some of these questions of what would make that better? Why was it better a few years ago? I mean, now I think people understand these well, engines old, really well. How old is the new point system? Because it it wasn't long ago that it was. 10 points down to 8th. Yeah, I think it was for 2010 when we had 26 cars. Then that's when they looked at it and says, okay, hold on. This is, we have, um, you know. Well, we never actually had 26. I mean, we were scheduled to right. have 26. Right, so I think it was when we were supposed to have 26. And then, you know, yeah, it became 24 when, you know, F1, USF1 never existed. USF1. <laughs> that was a thing. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's what's interesting now is, okay, people really well, you know, all the teams, I think, understand these engines as best they can. I mean, it's, right. I don't think... Uh, you know, Marusha with their Cosworths are doing a lot of engine research. I mean, they're doing the best they can to, uh, you know, get the cars uh, and, and, you know, get the whole team to all, all the races and just run run sessions and complete uh, complete laps and so on. But, uh, you know, certainly the top teams, they all understand these engines really well. And that's what should be really interesting for next year is that then this is a big shakeup of technology, right. of, of engine development. We may see cars where some are really just genuinely faster than others and how quickly can people... Uh, you know, move, uh, react, and 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 move forward throughout the season. Right. And we may come back and see that you know either you know the Ferrari engine is just the best one, or the you know the Renaults may be behind, or the uh, who knows, right? Exactly what's uh, what's going to happen if Mercedes will will come up with a really good turbo engine or whatever. So or Honda, or Honda for 2015. Yeah. Because I mean, Honda does have practice with the IndyCar engines, which are turbocharged. Right. And you know, obviously, we're talking about different levels of power output here. And um, I'm hoping for a slightly less whiny sound. But um, it could be a genuine mix-up. Not to mention, obviously, the chassis is still going to be incredibly important. Right. And and aerodynamics are still a thing. Right. (laughs) And, I mean, here's the thing. Like, Lotus, you know, it's been close to the front here. I mean, not quite 
a proper leading contender team, but they've been up there. Mercedes, yeah. McLaren, you'd think they'd want to come back and be strong again. I'd say the chances are reasonably high. And then, obviously, Red Bull. So that's four teams right there. Oh, and there's a... I, keep, I always forget one team. There's a, It's um, F- Force India. No. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Ferrari. And one day, Ferrari's going to build a fast car again. And what I mean by that is, obviously, the cars are always pretty darn solid. Even the bad cars are still pretty good, kind of like pizza. But, um, you know, a properly fastest fast car. And if they do that, and Alonso's... You know, not ninety. He's he's gonna he's gonna really be hungry to capture that. Right, and who you know, or whether it'll be Alonso or whether it be his teammate or his replacement, uh, you know, kind of remains to be seen exactly how long it'll take before everyone gets their head around the new engine regulations. Or what's usually the more interesting period is when not everyone yet has their head around. Right. I mean, that was the whole blown diffuser thing with Braun. It was like. Um, hey, we've got this new innovation, and we think it's going to work, and it did, and it was amazing, uh, you know. Or, or Red Bull with the double diffuser, and you know all these different uh, different options for, uh, you know, where where one person, one team, really is kind of ahead of the curve, right. and then seeing how different people react and catch up in different ways. Although I think I have to modify what you said slightly. I'm pretty sure that what Braun came up with was the double diffuser, yeah. and that what Red Bull came up with was the blown diffuser with the exhaust gases and really maximizing that. Sure. Yeah, I prove proves that I know things, and I speak good. So, um, one thing that we do really properly have to talk about: this was not a wet race. This was not some crazy thing. And Nico Hulkenberg took his Sauber, qualified third, and then finished fifth. Great, great, great result. I mean, there's just no two ways around that one. That's a fabulous job. This kid is good, and he and he can't consistently show that he can't constantly uh show better than the car deserves but in a way he may he might maybe the car is even worse than we realize but the result like this i mean you got to give that kid lots of credit yeah and it's it's a weird uh comparison but you know because you know there was sergio perez in the cyber last year it was a few of his uh really good appearances that got him on the radar and then you know and the, the way the whole timing and the lewis leaving and everything that all worked out Obviously, uh, Checo ended up with the McLaren drive, and then that sort of has gone nowhere. I mean, and, and, you know, interestingly, Nico Hulkenberg, of course, well ahead of both McLarens in this particular race. Very true. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that really, um, it's, he, he said uh, this won't help his, uh, you know, he's like, I don't think this result will affect my decision of whether or not, you know, I'm going to go, go drive for Ferrari. Um, or not his decision. But, you know, I was going to say, wait, what? It's not his decision, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, will, will affect the, the chances or whatever. Um, and in a way, you know, yeah, I don't think it's as reactionary as people like to think it's you know it's pretty rare that a guy has one really good race and all of a sudden the team's like hey what this guy yeah he you right. know, we haven't thought about him before but let's think about him now and right let's, let's hire him but he hasn't had one he's he's now had quite a few right. that he it's, can look it's at quite a few and you know obviously there's a lot of other factors about you know where as we've just been talking about with red bull and we'll talk about in a minute um it's not just who is the who is the fastest possible guy? But you know what are the what are the finances involved? What are the sponsors? You know who are my teams? Who are the teammates? What is the interplay going to be? Um, and and how are the timings of our you know wanting to have one top guy? How's that all going to pan out? So it would be I think a great fit for him to slot into uh, Felipe Massa's seat and be alongside Alonso and uh, you know sort of give Alonso a couple of years. Hopefully the uh, you know the Ferraris come good. They can all you know all work together happily and then Alonso has his time to shine and then Hulkenberg has his time to shine after that and uh, no conflicts or, or problems. But right. I mean it's that not isn't usually that simple. What you just described isn't that far at all from 
Massa. I mean, that's what happened with him. He was in a lower team, and he was kind of given a year off because he was a little bit of a hothead, and pardon the term, but just a little inconsistent, and had that time off, came back into the team under Schumacher's wing, and was really able to thrive. Well, So in many ways, Hulkenberg's already ahead uh, of that of that showcase, he could come in and uh, really potentially do fantastically well. And, uh, you know, poor old Massa, ironically enough, would be the one that would have to step aside for that. But, eh, what are you going to do? Point is, he did a great job. And another person that really did a solid job, even even just comparing to his teammate, uh, was uh, Daniel Ricardo, whom we already know has a very solid future. Right, started seventh, finished seventh, um, but uh, yeah, had plenty to uh, to do to keep that keep that place throughout the race. And uh, John Ackerman did have a uh, transmission problem uh, after 14 laps. Uh, so, but uh, uh, John Eric did start tenth, and uh, yeah, retired, end up 21st with a retirement. So um, it is because that that was the big uh, talking point. Um, of course, was Daniel Ricciardo getting the Red Bull seat for yes. next year? The Mark Webber, of course, moving off to uh, drive Porsche sports cars. In the WEP, no, see? WEC. Yeah. Um, including <laughs> the, 24 hours of the The World Mark. Endurance but Parliament. That was, <laughs> uh, but that was the, uh, you know, with, with Jean-Eric Verne, I think had one more point than Ricardo. And it was like, well, why, you know, you're not just, you know, merit, you know, on a meritocracy, just looking at who has the highest points, who's our best driver. And, well, yeah, of course, there was if more. If that were it. the case, I'd go right back to my Kimi Raikkonen argument. <laughs> well, uh, out of their driver academy and right. blah, blah, blah. But, uh so now I'm sure uh, Daniel Ricardo having just a really good result, you know, solid result, I guess. Um, and uh, and then, the, you know, it's not great to uh, take advantage of your teammates' misfortune, but that's how it goes sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so he's got, you know, Ricardo a couple more points in the bag, six more points from today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just sort of a good kind of answer to some of those questions that may have been raised. Um, and, it, and it, you know, I did hear a story where uh, – uh, John Eric Verne said, you know, he has sort of formally said that he's, you know, displeased that he didn't get the Red Bull seat. It's like, again, what what's the story? There? Right, right. It's like, wow, I, I also wish that I could drive for a top team and be a bajillionaire. I'm displeased <laughs> with the fact that I'm not. Okay. I mean, anyone out of, you know, any group of people gets a promotion. The other people are probably going to be like, whether they admit it or not, like, oh, man, that yeah. would have been cool if that were me. Exactly. But at the same time, yeah. So we'll see, uh, you know, the results are kind of what uh, what matter. And we'll see starting next year, you know, how, how Vettel does with the new car, how Ricardo does as his teammate, and just kind of how it goes on from there. Uh, there was also another report saying um, Red Bull will not treat Ricardo as a number two driver, which – Again, seems a little bit silly because, bit. like we talked about, there's no, uh, you know, there's no reason to not treat him like a number two driver. The bigger story would be if it were Raikkonen going there, or right. somehow Alonso, or whatever. Um, if it were two really top guys that have, you know, both had championships and both, you know, have are just as hungry or in the same place in their career, uh, then that's a question of well, who's the number one, number two guy. But for this, it's sort of why not treat uh, Ricardo as your number two driver? That's the perfect way to do it and, and and you know whether usually it doesn't really matter when it comes down to um you know we only have one front wing and we have to give it to somebody i mean those situations are very rare it just right. happened a couple of times well uh, i mean it's basically saying that we're not going to be doing this way ferrari does it ferrari is very overt and very uh consistent with its number one versus number two guy you know uh look at uh, mclaren for example i'm sure that at the end of the day uh jensen button gets some advantages right. that uh perez does not but they're not number one, number two in that sense much at all. Do you know what I mean? Whereas uh, Felipe Massa, they're like, hey, go 
go draft, <laughs> go draft for Alonso. You know right, what I mean? But then Massa ended up out qualifying Alonso. I mean, of course, Alonso did somehow manage to make it by him during the race. Somehow. But uh, but still, you know, there is that's like there's a one-two, but it's the difference is like, do you give an advantage to some guy or is it? you know, disadvantage to your other guy is, is, are we actually going to, you know, knock, uh, you know, knock Vettel down a peg to get Ricardo? I mean, no, they're going to push as right. hard as they can with both guys. And only if it comes down to some really fine point where we have to decide, then, you know, a decision could be made one way or another, but uh, you have to imagine that, um, you know, Vettel and his engineers and Adrian Newey and the whole, like those guys are doing whatever they're doing is working obviously. Cause right. like we just said, they're well on their way to four construct, you know, consecutive championships, which is just amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and keep in mind too, that, uh, is there overt, um, one, one, two drivers at Red Bull? No, but uh, is the cars design, the cars layout, the cars, um, all the details of how the system worked and how the weekend is operated, uh, favored towards Vettel? Almost certainly, right? right? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that once um, Weber's off contract, we'll probably learn about one or two of them, where he felt like this was one of the reasons why Vettel always did so much better than me. Here's another. Here's another. You know, I'm sure he's got reasons. How valid they are is uh, debatable, but I'm sure he'll have reasons of advantages Vettel had that he didn't get. Right. And I guess the other interesting teammate comparison to make is uh, Hamilton Rosberg. You know, technically, of course, each team has the primary driver. And in Mercedes, that is Nico Rosberg. Right. Probably because he's got the history with the team and, uh, and, you know, Hamilton is new to it. But, of course, Hamilton is third in the championship and Rosberg is sixth, which is a pretty big difference. And um, Rosberg has more wins than Hamilton. Yeah. So, so just the way the way things are going, you know, that's one we, where we did have team orders in Malaysia, famously, we remember. Yes. Um, and that's one where every once in a while, you know, they'll have a push one way or the other. But I don't think that there's they're clearly, you know, that the team is all rallied behind Hamilton or rallied behind Rosberg. I feel like it's that's one that really could go either way. And I think it's intelligent to do so that, you know, once you have one driver who's clearly in the lead, then that's, you know, he's our best shot for. Uh, maximizing points, so let's get our, our you know might behind him. But I don't think that there's a uh, dramatic you know difference between how they treat you know one guy versus the other. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, the other thing that this Daniel Ricardo announcement to Red Bull, by the way, good for him. He's super lucky, and it does change my prediction you gave me of the first uh, new Formula One champion, one that is not already a Formula One champion. That currently right now is looking a little bit more in Daniel Ricardo's favor. But um, the other thing that does is open up a conversation about the silly season. Okay, so we now know that there's an STR seat available. Fine. What we also want to know is where's Kimi Raikkonen going to end up? What's going to happen with Felipe Massa? What's going to happen uh, you know, around these other top teams? And uh, is Raikkonen going to stay put? Is Massa going to stay put? Is anything going to happen at Mercedes? Is anything going to happen at McLaren? Those are the type of questions that uh, I would love to hear your opinion on. Yeah, I I do think Lotus is going to stay the same for next year. Um, you know, there you go. <laughs> I mean, knowing that Raikkonen is is not going to be a Red Bull driver, um, I don't think it's going to be him to move to Ferrari to fill in Massa's seat. Uh, there have been some some articles saying, yeah, you know, we haven't ruled out anything. It's like, well, I also haven't ruled out a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that they're likely. So uh, the idea, I, I think, um, you know, there, there's been there's been ups and there's been downs and so on. But Raikkonen Grosjean, I think, is where it's going to be for next year. Myself. Um, STR is... is that a good thing, though? I mean, that... I, I'm sorry, but I have to stick on that one just a little bit. I'm, 
I certainly uh, I had a lot more uh, a lot more evidence that this Red Bull thing could work out for Kimi. Yeah, Ferrari moving to Ferrari would have a lot of um, sour grapes attached to that one. So. Does that mean Lotus can stay as top team? Is this going to be something where Lotus is going to continue to make progress? Because they do, they can legitimately say that they have one of the quote-unquote star drivers. Right. And I, so I think they're going to do everything they can to keep Raikkonen, and I think that it'll work, in my, you know, just my guessing at it. Um, I think there was also a, a story where they sort of, uh, not at the very beginning of the year, but after a couple of races, like when we started for the, you know, into the European rounds, they announced uh, Burn Energy Drink as a sponsor. Um, oh, yeah. Feel and, the burn. Which uh, is a subsidiary of Coca-Cola. And I think the way their car was set up and designed, you know, they have... You know, uh, what they, you know how in Coca-Cola they have a big part of what they like to uh, talk about with their flavor is the bite and the burn. So what they do for burn is they take the bite out, and it's just the burn. You know why? Because you can feel the burn. Have you ever had burn? I had a burn energy drink driving across Ukraine, actually. Yeah, a year I ago. did. And it was hot because I was feeling the burn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's a big deal. I mean, Coke obviously is one of the world's largest brands. They're in the top five of yes. most recognized brands. They are a marketing powerhouse. Huge amounts of money. And I think they, they're, there's some understanding that, you know, Right now, of course, the, the Lotus has a big Janai Business Exchange is like the main sponsor on the side of the car, which is not really a sensible thing. It's not a phone company that everyone knows or an oil company that everyone knows or, of course, not tobacco anymore. Um, so the idea that they would – you know, I think that was sort of a, a – you know, the sponsorship didn't quite come together at the right time. So they, just, they ended up with like, well, we have this red area on the side pod. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be Coca-Cola. Now it's not. So uh, we'll just put our own, you know, Janai, like, you know, capital investment company that right. owns the, the team. Right. Um, so I think uh, hopefully in the offseason they, they work out the details of the sponsorship, maybe become a title sponsor. It could even be, you know, Lotus Coca-Cola Racing or, or it could be, you know, Lotus Burn Racing or who knows what. Right. Um, but to properly um, – you know, get the get the money in the right spot for the team. I think once they, you know, that's what it's going to take. I think to get Raikkonen involved is to say, hey, look, we've got our, our money. We got our money right for next year. Uh, you know, we've got uh, just the the driver lineup is unchanged. Um, you know, the, you know, we know the the drivers, we know the engineers. Everything's working pretty well. Um, everyone's going to be starting fresh on the powertrains, like we talked about. So it's a good chance to sort of uh, get creative. They're, they've been good on the tires. So if other, as other people are trying to do their thing on tires, you know, it's sort of like. They've got the team where it is now, but taking the next step into the next generation of F1 starting next year, hopefully that'll be strong. And uh, whether it's a good thing or not, of course, we'll, it'll remain to be seen. But I don't think that they would, you know, it would be the right choice for someone like Hulkenberg, for example, as we're just talking about, as sort of the next up-and-comer. Would it be the right choice for him to be the second guy at Lotus? You know, maybe, but maybe not. It's not as sure a bet. But I for mean, Grosjean, is Grosjean going to do any better than Lotus? That would no. be more likely to me a move forward on the grid. So it might be a good it might be a good transition period. And, uh, you know, with with Hulkenberg, he's in that weird place where um, he's shown proper talent. And he's getting the right attention. But this could be the peak. You know what I mean? Like, you never know where his career is going to go. You know, combination of bad luck and everything else. I'll give you a perfect example. Mark Webber, 2005, made the move to Williams. Right. And he's like, okay, this is a big team. Now I can really show what I'm capable of and prove uh, – you know, prove my performance and on and on and on. That was the year that Williams really started falling apart and he became a mid-pack guy. That 
set the tone of his career, really. He finally, you know, he was with Jaguar. Jaguar became Red Bull that stuck with him, and, and he was finally able to get some race wins and have a real shot at the championship in 2010. But had Williams still been a powerhouse and he started showing well at 25, he could have had a very different career tra- trajectory. So my only point is that what Hulkenberg has, there's no waiting it out. You know, we just got to take whatever he can get whenever he can get it. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, that may be the deal. And even, you know, uh, Sergio Perez remains to be seen exactly how meteoric or not his rise right. may be because that was the whole exactly that. Promising... Well, it's been meteoric in some senses, but more like crashing into things meteoric. Right. So, <laughs> it's yeah, like we'll being hit by. Exactly how that, uh, how that all transpires. So, and it's, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because I, I very highly doubt that McLaren's going to have a change, driver change-up in uh, for 2014. Um, the Lotus, you and I are mostly agreeing that Renault, uh, uh, Lotus is likely to change. Um, Mercedes, they're not going to change. Uh, Nico is a very solid driver and obviously Lewis. And so Red Bull, we already know. So really Ferrari is, that's the last open seat of like massive significance. Right. And I think there's a higher chance than most people are willing to admit, certainly in sort of among the fans and people on the Facebook page and Twitter and so on. That Massa may stay on. I mean, it's very it's, it's very easy to look at some of these results. And, you know, we were a bit surprised at the beginning of this year, or whenever it was announced last year, that he got another contract extension. Even Mark Webber, we were pretty you know pretty surprised when he uh, re-upped for 2013 with yeah. another one-year deal um, after, after all the nonsense that had gone on between them in the season. I mean, there's obviously, you know, there's more to it than we see as, as spectators and commentators and so on. So I think... There's actually a reasonable chance that uh, that Massa will stay on at Ferrari um, if they don't, uh, because they've got they, he's a known quantity. He's not amazing, but he can you know he can hang with the top guys every once in a while. And if they can work out the more the consistency, used to be one of the top guys. Right. That's the you, hardest right. part. Yeah, so it's it's tough personally, but in terms of if they're going to sign someone else up and go through um, everything it takes, sort of you know uh, investing in another guy as a Ferrari man and so on. Um, then they have to make sure that that's going to be better than what they've got now, and uh, and I guess you know depending on what the numbers are and, and you know if they if they were to sign uh, a Hulkenberg or a Duresta or you know one of these other guys that uh, that could be uh, on their way uh, or, or bring Jules Bianchi up to the uh, you know up to that level or whatever. Yeah, it's like those are much bigger question marks I think than Massa is at least a known quantity. So. Um, when we talked about this last time, I, I predicted as DeResta. I mean, I don't. That's not based on uh, <laughs> you know much of anything, but right. um, but it's just sort of uh, one of those one of those things. Although I did pr- predict Ricardo for Red Bull, so at least you know the the top seat. Uh, did get you you did get that right. Um, A pat on your back, sir. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Um, I don't know. It would be maybe a bit disappointing for a lot of people who want to see someone else in that Ferrari car, and uh, you know, see Massa sort of leave gracefully rather than have another lackluster year. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess there is still a yeah, fairly, fairly good chance that uh, we'll I, see Massa again. And hopefully we should actually find out in the next few days. So maybe by the time people are listening to this, an announcement <laughs> already will have been made and Luca Bedore will be coming back and we'll all sound oh, like idiots. But That would be kind of cool. Or Fisichella. I'd be like, ah, you know, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. No, it's, um, it's funny because I do, I do agree with you and – this is what I have to say about he is doing better than he was last year, and you know his results today certainly aren't going to hurt. What he needs to do if he gets one more year though, 
is say, okay, this is going to be my retirement year. This is my swung song in Formula One. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to celebrate a little bit. And that would do two things for him. One, he doesn't have to be caught up in all the politics of being, oh, is he going to keep a seat? Is he going to keep a seat? Because right. that, it's that not, weighs it's not on you. not racing for the job anymore. Yeah. Right. It weighs on you personally. There's, there's no two ways about that one. And like Mark Webber this year, after it was announced that he was moving to sports cars, then the conversation wasn't about, oh, look at Mark Webber. Oh, he kind of sucks. Or, oh, he's great. Or he used to be right. good. Whatever. It's all about... Who's it going to be next and what is that going to mean and so on. So it just changes the whole conversation. Right. And the second thing that I think Masa could do to his advantage, I think it makes him a more marketable driver in other series. Because it's not a, oh, he lost his job at Ferrari. It's, oh, he's retiring from Ferrari and he's he's made that decision. He can go about these things in a more personal way. The The split can be more amicable. Those are the type of things he can look at. The fact he's he's kind of dug his feet in a little too much for this year probably, but the fact of the matter is if he can get one more year out of Formula One, he should call that the last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, so the 2015 lineup prediction for Ferrari does not include Felipe Massa. For That's when of... Luca de Boer <laughs> comes back, yes. Yeah, and who knows what uh, what all will happen then. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, we don't know yet. It's not an, a certainty that... Renault will have figured out the next generation engine stuff. So it's easy to look at the past of Red Bull and say, wow, they're just this powerhouse and, and continuation of everything they've done in the last four, you know, this year and the previous three. Right. Um, but that's not a known deal. I mean, there are enough things changing that it really could shake up. And maybe, you know, if, uh, if, if they do keep Alonso and Massa on next year, even if Massa says, okay, this is my last year, it could be a last year with actually pretty good results. I mean, we don't actually know. You Very know, true. It, it's, you know, it, it could be that, uh, you know, Ferrari has been. Um, what if uh, Adrian Newey gets too aggressive with cooling again? Now that we have turbos, it's going to need different style of cooling. Right. And then, you know, I mean, there's uh, lots of, that's just one of many, many examples. Right. Or, you know, if, it, if tire management then, you know, comes back to, uh, to being an issue and, and somebody just happens to get it wrong. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot to get thrown off track. And, of course, uh, they've been really just amazing I mean, at just it. look what Duressa can do. Right. Hey. So anyway, um, so then it's so so Lotus. We've got yeah, and then and yet, like you say, Mercedes. All the rest of them are pretty well uh, known deals. So that's that's the interesting question though is kind of where uh, where Ferrari will end up. And I'm curious to hear what our listeners have to think. Uh, you know what what uh, Jim, that's predictions and theories they have. I'm just amazed by it because that's how I feel too. The kilt. Had something to say to us, believe it or not. And, uh, I believe it. Well, believe and you shall receive. Because he said, two comments. First one said, you don't need any ideas for a special taste of the race breakfast edition as obviously the great British breakfast wins. And he goes on to list the different things that make up a British breakfast, such as... Wait, wait, can I guess this? No. I, I don't have his comment in front of me. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Go okay. ahead. So having, having been to England a handful of times and uh, staying in a hotel that has a very typical English breakfast, uh, English fry-up, as it would be, I would say you'd have eggs, you would have baked beans, you would have toast, and you'd have a like sautéed tomatoes, um, bacon and or some kind of weird chubby sausages, <laughs> uh, mushrooms and like lots of oil, which is somehow a thing. And these little, like, (laughs) potato wedge kind of hash brownie kind of fried potato wedge kind of things. Well, you got some of it right, but maybe you got more of it right and just didn't name it correctly. Who knows? But here's what it actually says. Sausage, 
bacon. And he goes on to say, proper back bacon, not that streaky American crap. Yeah. Which, um, well, okay. okay. Fair enough. Um, eggs. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Black pudding. White pudding. Fried mushrooms. Fried tomato. Bean. Fried tomato. Beans. And a cheeky bit of fried haggis for that Scottish touch. Which we got a smiley face emoticon immediately after that. Nice. Um, all washed down with a strong breakfast tea. And uh, <clears throat> he said something about a mug that I will ignore. Um, I really thought he was going to go with Iron Brew as to wash it down. Then, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, he did not. It's funny because the, you know, the American bits of the English breakfast I'd be all about, as I would be with the strong breakfast tea because I'm a big fan of tea. Something about leaves and water and heat that makes me very happy. Hmm. Yes. Um, so he went on to ask us a question, a second comment from The Kilt, and it says... He's been watching GP2 a lot more these days and and uh, really like the one-man-per-wheel pit stop, i.e. one man, nut off, wheel off, wheel on, nut on. Less people in the pits, more chance of error, more pressure. I think it's a winner and should be done with Formula One. What do you think? I think it's interesting. Uh, we watch a variety of sports car races as well, and, of course, some of the some of the series there – they actually have uh, individual lug nuts. You know, we'll, we'll have a Porsche wheel, and they'll come in and have to undo five lug nuts, and then they put on right. a new wheel. Usually they have the, the new nuts uh, sort That's of— That's also how they do it in NASCAR. Yeah, and temporarily sort of glued onto the wheel so that then they can put, do, you know, the five lug nuts back on. So that takes—that's a whole lot more coordination than even a single a unified hub. Very and much And there's so. a lot more that can go wrong there. Um, of course, if everyone's doing it, then that's—it's the same for everyone. Then, you know, that's—it's uh, sort of an equalizer. But— it does mean that the overall pit stop delta um, is longer, so I think yes. we would tend toward more. Um, It'd be fewer pit stops. Know, yeah, longer stints. Possibly, you know, it's it's worth it to stay out on some tires onto the ragged edge, uh, which could be fun. But that may negate some of the if, if there's sort of a safety implication here of oh, fewer people in the pits, um, as as though you know I think the safety of um, you know drivers spinning off on track, I guess you know it can be weighed against. Um, the uh, you know how many people in the pit lane because it's of course pretty rare when something goes haywire enough in the pits to cause injuries. Right, but, but when, when something it does, does, there's a lot of people in very close spots that are all focusing on things right in front of them and not uh, you know whether or not there are wheels uh, aimed toward them. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, big heavy spinning wheels. Yeah, yeah it, it's an interesting point. I, I you know that's uh, that's sort of the, the limit we're at now. You know since we you know since the lack of refueling and, and you know I remember some spectacular fiery moments from Singapore and from various places. Yes. Um, and, you know, people being dragged down the pit lane with, with fuel hoses and things like that. Uh, you know, then we saw these different hub designs to even just improve the pit stops uh, down to where they are now. And, uh, yeah, it could be interesting to sort of, um, you know, there was talked about a, a mandatory minimum time, which I think would be a bit lame if you get the pit that, stops done. That would be something And then I'd you're sitting there for with, two yes. seconds until it's like, okay, yep, three, two, one, go. Okay. You know, that's more the timing and coordination but if there were something that genuinely takes longer for you know if it's one guy even one guy per side if you say i've got to do the front then i've got to go resituate myself at the rear and then you you know have a priority and which yeah. gets done first or whatever i would actually prefer myself one guy per axle as opposed to one guy per side yeah but um sorry finish your point so i guess it's it's interesting i would doubt that it would happen but uh if in the interest of yeah safety and competitive uh you know differences and so on that that is potentially something that you can that it's it's a way of regulating costs without putting a dollar or pound or euro amount on it because uh any team can just about as effectively 
um, you know, drill and try and test pit stops. You know, Marusha's and HRT, not HRT, and, uh, maybe them not so much. Marusha's well, maybe they still maybe that's what they can afford and, yet. Yeah, Marusha's and Caterham teams should be able to run uh, pit stop practice just about as effectively back at the factory as Red Bull and Ferrari. Yeah. So if they can gain a half a second by getting their guys really, really well drilled on exactly how to how to get through this motion of the new pit stop thing, um, and it's not, you know, you're not looking for hundredths or tenths, but, you know, just... Uh, there, there's more to be potentially gained there, then that could be interesting. That could be, uh, you know, the difference that can occasionally get you into some points and so on. Uh, so it is a, definitely an interesting uh, interesting proposal. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I wasn't truly uh, wasn't expecting that answer from you, and as a result, I actually disagree. I think that uh, one of the cool things about Formula One, what the, one of the true separators, uh, differentiators of Formula One, is how much time and effort and how much um, optimization they put into every last detail. And I think the pit stop is a very impressive culmination of that. The fact that they can get what they get done in such a short amount of time, to me, is very impressive. What I will say is I, I like I like it when they add and take away things to the pit stop because that, just like any other rule change, um, disorients people and they have to rethink and put together and figure out the fastest way to do something new. But for me, personally, it's very impressive to see them work so hard to get something down so low, whereas the pit stop can still be a differentiator. And to the point that you made about the longer time in the pits, I like the fact that the time in the pits becomes a more minimum penalty because that allows um, a little bit more flexibility and strategy. So that people can say, well, okay, if you're fast enough, we can do an extra pit stop or, you know, or what have you. So. Um, I'm actually, I'm personally a fan of the pit stop test they are. Yeah, so we'll see if in the coming years we'll have uh, pit stop robots where you just drive into the pits Ooh, instead, of pit a hu- bots. instead of a human uh, with a wheel gun trying to take off one wheel and plot on another. I mean, I'm sure they could, you know, some of the top teams could build machines that could do it even faster. And, uh, you know, right as you get in there, you could probably not even come to a stop entirely. But uh, And then the question is, do you need the pit lane at all? Or could you have the robot just go out and service the car at speed on the front straightaway? Just have it maybe slow down slightly. And uh, and then, you know, the pit, pit guy, you know, lifts up the car, swatches out the wheel, drops him back off in a, in a good second and a half. And, uh, you know, the car doesn't even have to pull into the pits at all. You know, who knows, right? Right, right. But, yeah, <laughs> it, it is, you know, pretty cool to see the uh, the pit stops happen so quickly. And, uh, and, and that is part of it. But, uh, yeah, I wonder kind of where... Where that might uh, plateau, or if the if the focus may shift to uh, some other part of the uh, sport. Okay, so we did get a couple emails. Yes, um, we got one from Kelvin Graham from Perth, Australia. Yes, uh, awesome podcast. Bet you enjoy this as much as I did, and sent us a link to this YouTube video um, called the uh, the Queen of motorsports formula one the queen of motorsports which you can check out on youtube it's just a cool video uh three and a half minutes long kind of a music video style thing with a lot of the uh highlights and lowlights of, of crashes and dramatic moments and so on of f1 and uh just a you know a cool thing to watch if you've got a couple of minutes to check it out so thank you very much for the email on that kelvin and also from uh paul alston we haven't heard from him for a while um but uh he's been a long time listening to the show and uh he had uh he had some some playback issues which i think he's uh he's gotten figured out but um the, uh, he said, you know, that aside, the reason I thought I'd get back in touch was to see if you had any thoughts on something I noticed during the Belgium race that pretty much all the drivers frequently exceeded the track limits, particularly noticeable at the top of Eau Rouge in the exit of Turn 9, uh, where the cars completely crossed the white line. 
you know, the penalizing lots of drivers for doing exactly the same thing is definitely not going to help the show for spectators, but they're undeniably gaining an advantage by doing this lap after lap, and uh, wonders how much of an advantage is allowable under the current rules. And that's what we are talking about a little bit earlier on, but there are some of these um, the gray area rules where it is, it is you know, and it's, you know, in this case, quite literally, it's black and white because there's a track surface and there's a line. And it's like, <laughs> are you crossing the line or not? Right, right. And it is quite literally a case of there are these zones where it's just been decided by agreement, whether it's driver's meeting or kind of the way it's always been done or whatever, where that's just allowed. So, uh, yeah, if they penalized everyone, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I think what does make sense is what they did uh, in this case for Monza, which is before the event and before that there, before there's a controversial thing and they can say, oh, this benefits Ferrari or this benefits Red Bull or whatever, to say, hey, for this weekend, this is how we're treating this. This is okay in, within this line and outside of that line is not okay. We don't care if that's how you've always done it. That, this Just treat this as the new edge. I mean, that's what it would take um, for Spa if they say for next year – this is where everyone has to do, and if you exceed those limits, then too bad, or change the painting lines on the track yeah, and say that's see, now part of the track. I totally disagree. Um, I uh, have a master's in business administration, and I'm about to use that to give you some education. The thing that you need is to give the drivers proper incentives to not want to cross the, uh, the white line at all. I think two wheels off the line is wrong, so this is what I propose. Cute kittens, Okay that sit on the white line all the time. And then the rules are, yeah, you can drive wherever you want. But if you cross the line, you're killing cute kittens. Do you want to be a cute kitten murderer? Jim, do you? Do you think any driver on the staff, on the staff, any driver currently in Formula 1, one would want to kill cute kittens? These are cute kittens. We're talking about millions of views on YouTube just for cute kittens. Boom. Problem solved. You're welcome. Well, the combination of a business degree and a head injury is just an amazing <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. Where's my soup? And to see how that all comes together. Wow. Um, so we've got the usual conversation happening on Facebook, all kinds of good stuff. Um, well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that, but uh, you've got to talk about those kids on Twitter first, I do believe, do sir. I, well, I don't have that in front of me, so I'm going to talk Facebook oh, still for a second. Oh, but I was going to talk Facebook. Okay, you can talk Facebook Okay, then, then Facebook. See, we got this thing on Facebook, actually. Um, well, the, the thing I was going to start with, actually, was the comments to our last podcast. Um, we got uh, a nice one from Stephen Church, who basically said he didn't get to watch the race all in one place, but that he's an excellent multitasker, and that he wanted to point out that men can multitask, and I have no reason to disagree. Well done, sir. Um, Paul Bryant, who uh, said uh, that he thought the next new F1 champion winner will be either Nico Rosberg or Daniel Ricciardo, and he went on to say that he think it will happen by the year 2016. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, uh, James Kilgore, James Kilgore, who uh, told us that uh, he got to listen to the podcast and that uh, it was good. That's cool. I'm, you know, I'm happy when people uh, like that. He was happiest to hear his shout out, and hey, it was a well deserved shout out. And uh, Matt Patterson um, also uh, uh, gave a prediction to the next new world champion. He said it would be. Chico Purs. I don't know who that is. So the new driver, he just made him up. Okay, all right. Checo Perez, which is Sergio Perez. He thinks he will be the next new world champion because he's at a good team and he's just ironing out the kinks. And uh, finally, to uh, Laurie Jordan, 
who commented, um, she basically, I can't read this super well, but I think she's basically saying she absolutely loves all my poems. Oh, goodness. And uh, that uh, she also went on to say that she uh, does not eat at McDonald's, but yes, she knows that they do, in fact, have McLobster. Yeah, she went and checked into that for us. So, so as I said on Facebook there, thank you, Agent Jordan, for uh, your, your sterling detective work. What I thought was interesting, so we posted the, uh, the link to the story uh, when uh, Red Bull confirmed Daniel Ricardo for 2014. Yes. And apparently, like, everyone that follows us is Australian. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's, oh, yeah, local Australia. Oh, yeah, my, my local Perth hero and all that. So, uh, yeah, you know, shout out to, uh, to the, the fans down under there, man. Yeah, we got uh, a big following there, and uh, it's always cool to see people get excited about that. And I think it was, you know, people just in general, Australian and not, um, just excited about, like, yeah, he's, a, you know, just seems like a good guy. It seems like a good move. It's not a, a pay driver situation. It's not a, you know, just, a, oh, yeah, he's only there because he's got the money or because whatever. It's sort of like, okay, this is cool. I think that some people, some Raikkonen fans may have wanted to see him there, but um, there was always that question of how would he fit in and so on. So, right. you know, it seems like genuinely just kind of positive vibes. And, uh, you know, it's a good, it's always cool to see, um, uh, you know, I say youngster, not, you know, all these guys, I guess they're similar ages and whatever, but to <laughs> see a, a, you know, a newer driver get a chance in the top car, what is just undisputably the top car right now. Well, we don't know for next year. Yeah, exactly. But for now, you know, that like, if, if, you know, as much as we can tell, um, to see someone like that, where it's not just Alonso uh, who's proven himself or Massa who's, who's been there for a while, or even, you know, some of these other guys or the McLaren, which turned out to not be a top car and so on. But, uh, to see a young guy get, uh, get put in that spot and see, you know, what if he's faster than Vettel and starts starts dominating there? Unlikely, but, Unlikely, you know, but hey. Who knows, yeah, you right? never know. So, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people uh, kind of digging that, and uh, a lot of folks uh, from Oz, so that's fun. Yeah, and uh, j- just a uh, clarification, I know for a fact that two of them were not. We had a very uh, dignified answer from a UKer, Craig the Kilt Wilson, said uh, he was the correct choice. So there's confirmation from a non-Aussie. As uh, did Lori Jordan. It's our Aussie. It's like a Z kind of a thing. Aussie. Is it, um, is it that? Uh, Lori Jordan, who is also not Australian but Canadian, and said, I'm glad that they are following up with giving the young team and the young drivers the chance to move to the big team. So she's basically validating the whole point of the STR team in the first place, saying, yeah, that's good. Right, which is something we've talked about in the previous weeks. On Twitter... Um, it was sort of this, you know, not down, uh, downbeat kind of thing. Watching qualifying, um, the general feel was like, uh, Ben Azuma, oh my, it looks like another finger Sunday ahead of us. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, okay. Well, I like that term. It's, it's Vettel. He's going to do really well. His pace is such that he's just going to be, uh, you know, so it's sort of just, um, you know, Bernard A was involved there. Kelly Guffa, uh, mentioned, you know, Flav looked a mess on TV. Uh, and- yeah, he kind of did. I have to agree with that. Um, one other thing to point out about that, and this was on Facebook as well, um, also by the kilt, the uh, fun hats that McLaren decided to wear at this uh, Grand Prix, those were less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole uh, McLaren 50th anniversary thing is a little bit weird because they, they chose to celebrate it as close to the actual 50th anniversary, um, like to the week pretty much, right. of the incorporation of McLaren, um, you know, with McLaren Racing or whatever it was called originally by Bruce McLaren back in the day which ended up being at Monza, which, of course, is home to Ferrari and the whole other thing, rather than sort of saying 2013 is our year of celebration, and they could have had a big a whole you know, show of it 
um, you know, or, or maybe less uh, involved, but um, something, you know, like at the British Grand Prix and, you know, other, other places where, um, you know, I mean, that would be the natural choice, of course, with Jensen. Or, you know, and, anywhere else. Right. But, like, the timing <laughs> of being like, this right now, this particular date is our 50th anniversary and going but, big hey, with the hats that, and that's whatnot. a very McLaren thing. It's true to McLaren form to say, no, this is the date. This is when we'll celebrate it. Yeah, well. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Amy Louise on Twitter as well also noticed uh, the watch on the on the uh, glove. Nico Rosberg yes. on his left hand is uh, you know printed on there. I think Hamilton had one as well. He's got black gloves, and so the watch didn't quite show up as uh, as vividly. But uh, yeah, I think you know the the watch sponsors have to think. Okay, well, um, you know they only really get that that love on the interviews, which only happen after qualifying. You know we don't we get the podium interviews and you don't get the watches usually for that. You can't see him in front of the face. So they're like, well, hey, during the whole race coverage, why don't we just print a picture of our watch on the back of his glove and well, put it's, it there? It's, it's a, a thing. Clever bit of advertising, and uh, I guess we got to talk about. It. I don't know what watch brand it is, so uh, I guess they don't get their name mentioned. But hey, whatever. It's uh, well, uh, uh, Sparco watches. I don't know. Um, makes me wonder though. Uh, before we move on to our predictions. What do you think of these on the podium uh, interviews? This particular one was not great. Um, yeah, I, I think we've we've talked about this in the past, and uh, it's it, it's sort of just this this awkward combination. They're trying to get the energy while they're still right there, right. while they're in front of the crowd. Um, but that means you know there's a very different tone you can take when you're in front of everyone versus when you are in a proper sort of press conference setup and it's more controlled and there's not you know cheers and jeers and so on so okay if you're at the race it's going to be it's got to be much better because otherwise you're just watching something on TV and you're also trying to figure out okay how do I get out of this track and everyone else is going to be getting on the subway at the same time as me and trying to get in cars and whatever right so there's that balance of like do I care enough about the, what these guys are going to say to watch them on a TV screen whereas if they're right there in front of you it's like hey that's cool maybe Alonzo's going to throw a hat and I'll be able to catch it or maybe you know I'll get to you know Vettel's going to say something about how he's amazing and I can yell at him and go boo so for those that are there <laughs> so you're saying it's more for the actual race attending right, crowd for the fans that are in in attendance there it's got to be much much better um but, yeah, but uh, for that for us at home and there's a lot but more even, of us at home hold on though I, for what you're saying but even then that's that's much more localized than that it's not for the race fans that saw the race it's for the race fans that are right by start finish Right, and even more specifically than that, right by where the podium ceremony is. I mean, the, to me, that's that's a little bit isolated, and frankly, I think it's it's a little bit campy for my taste. Yeah, I think um, I don't think we're the only ones who feel that way. I, I imagine you know at, at this point, yeah, they could change it or whatever, but probably for next year we'll see something different. Maybe we'll have uh, some kind of a. Um, I don't know, something in between the the idea of kind of taking the drivers. These are the guys that just won the race, and there's all these fans here who pay all the money to see them, and who are probably most excited about. Hey, those are the top three guys. The idea of taking them away from where anyone can see them and off into a room to do a press conference in front of a little stand-up thing. Um, I, I get that that's not like the most exciting way to kind of put the cap on the weekend and say, yes, you guys won the race. Now get out of here and go do a press conference is not the most exciting thing. So Agreed. there may be something in between that they can do that, um, whether it's the people doing the interviews, a bit more planning uh, around how the interviews are conducted and kind of uh, what the, the tone and the pace and things should be or or what. I don't know. I mean, then you also get the... Um, well, I think, I mean, to your point, I think the single biggest problem actually is the celebrity interview. Yeah. The interviewee, the interviewer, I'm sorry. You know, David Coulthard, okay, he's he's got some time on the BBC now. He He's a pretty good choice and uh, probably a backup choice in a lot of ways. But when you see John Surtees and all these kind of people, 
I think they'd be much better off to have those people up there and maybe they can exchange a few words, have that be part of a thing, but have that be separate from an actual journalist, someone that has professionalism and uh, knowledge to just throw at it and give them some good solid questions as opposed to – you know, Jean Alesi um, or Jean Surtees, you know what I mean? Even right. David Coulthard can only take that so far. Yeah, and there's there's this sort of false connection that people want to make of like, well, hey, I know what it takes to win here because I won back here in 1958. It's like, it's a little different now, yeah. for one. And also, that's not uh, you know, not necessarily that you can ask a good question just because you, you have also driven at this track. I mean, if, you know, someone who knows what the current kind of uh, you know what's being talked about in the season right now, and kind of what what what's been going on over the last two weeks, and what people are what what questions do people want to know is I think a lot more relevant and a lot more potentially interesting to us yeah. than you know just yeah someone who who we recognize their name or maybe we don't recognize their name um, you know for for some of these things so um, yeah I, I agree that this this particular one was wonky I think people probably know that um, <laughs> not like we need to be the ones to uh, bring that to the attention it's of FOM. Like, this is interesting news. We've got to tell the people. Right. And, and I mean, to be fair, you know, now that we are finally officially out of the woods with our whole, um, you know, legal dealings with FOM, the name change and all that, yes. we don't need to be the ones to bring anything to the attention of Bernie Ecclestown. I think we'll just, <laughs> we'll just have our little show, do our little podcast, have our thing. You know, we do obviously, of course, appreciate everyone telling their friends about us and growing the, the audience, but we don't need to be the guys, you know, getting in Bernie's face about yeah, anything. Yeah, and, and if anyone's Friends with Bernie, have him listen. Have him have a listen. Sure. You know, that'd be sweet. Right. But so related, though, to, yes. the, to, the, to the note on the coverage and so on, we, of course, here in the U.S., had a guest commentator for this weekend, Mario Andretti. You may, oh, speaking yeah. of people, you may know their names. Uh, so how did you feel about Andretti's uh, appearance on our whole show today? Meh. Meh. I mean, it was cool. It was fine. Uh, there's a lot of history and legacy that goes behind Mario Andretti and he did I think have make a couple of valid points about tires and the weather conditions um some insights that uh, David Hobbs and Steve Manchet may not have picked up on their own so it was nice to have that different insight but you know he's largely he's not experienced with this and there were just there weren't enough like great moments I think something like that would require a lot more effort put into the pre-planning side of things to the planning it right i liked it i thought it was cool because there were enough interesting moments and like you say a couple little insights here and there about watching the movement of some cars or some things even just you know making points about okay yeah the weather condition you know the way the wind has changed and things like that that are just different enough in another sort of technical voice Um, but also um, someone you know the the team of course lee diffie is is new this year um, compared to you know varsha from the previous setup but otherwise you know david hobbs and steve matchett have been working together for however long you know as long as we can remember practically and you know, know each other's little quirks and stuff. And it was kind of fun to mix it up a little bit and bring someone in there. So Steve makes some random point about something. And for Mario Andretti to sort of either, um, you know, call him out on it a little bit or right. um, or say, yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, so just changing the dynamic was kind of fun um, to, to change that up. And uh, But I thought it was cool. You know, also being able to uh, translate the Italian radio messages for Ferrari. That, that was a nice... Okay, that was prop. That, that was right. Nice... Although he could only so-so do it. Right, but that's better than that's all we needed. You know, oh, well, he's okay. just telling him to push like hell of Italian. So I thought it was cool. And uh, it was uh, you know, too overdone. It wasn't like, okay, now Mario is going to call the first three laps, and he's like, oh, look at that guy, look at that guy, oh, no, this guy. <laughs> but, but now Mario is going to call the first three laps. Whoa, whoa, 
hey, whoa! Right. You know, he doesn't get as, as excited and uh, and so on as, uh, as some of the commentators. But anyway, I thought it was cool and uh, something a little bit different. Uh, you know, of course, Mario uh, did get his promotion of Circuit of the Americas involved there, which is probably why he was there in the first place because he's the ambassador for the track and so on. Uh, but fine. You know, it's not like he was like, oh, the great thing is if these guys had Magnaflow exhaust, but then they would really do well. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so it was a little bit, um, the, the pre-show and the little features of kind of like, hey, we have this great question. We're going to ask Mario Andretti, Mario, what makes Vettel so good? Like, okay, what do you expect that you're going to get some amazing answer, something we've never heard before? Right, Like, that's, right. that's not going to be amazing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, during the race, I thought it was actually kind of cool. Okay, fair enough. Well, listen, that's one of the things they did that they got Mario involved, and he correctly predicted that Sebastian Vettel would win the race. But... Meh, they're doing that the day of the race. They've got a lot of uh, yeah. They know where everyone qualified for exactly. one thing. That's a big deal. Exactly. You and I, we have we have to predict the future. In fact, we have to predict Singapore. Yes, but before we predict for Singapore, let's talk about how exactly things went down for Italy and our predictions and so on. Oh, okay. So spreadsheets warmed up and yes. ready to go. Yes, um, my spreadsheet is hot. Good. That's that's mm. probably a good way for a spreadsheet to be. Spreadsheets. So I feel pretty good about this one. I went for a very safe bet of Vettel Vettel, as did 20 other people, and we were all correct. Yes. It's it not was, the most <laughs> uh, thrilling prediction in the world, but... Uh, hey, it worked out pretty well. Um, well, I have to say, uh, you know, honest, obviously that was the correct choice. Zero points, very well done. Uh, and I'm sure, I hope, at least it, it moved you up a bit um, from being whatever you were, 90 millionth. Um, but, I've, I've uh, not done so well this season <laughs> overall. That That is true. But I have to say uh, that I'm actually pretty happy with my choice as well. Um, I took a little bit of a risk with uh, Alonzo and was uh i won't i won't lie i was a little concerned about it but you know he did very very well he did take that um emotional boost he could from the fans and he did push it forward in a in a very positive way after qualifying was over i was like oh dear this this could go wrong but then no race pace proved really well so uh the win would have been a, a very satisfying result but hey what can you do right uh, so, yeah, again, that actually, I'm in 49th now. I'm in the top 50 Ooh, in our prediction, hey. which is... You would, you would officially make it as a state in the United States of America. Yes, if that's... If, and if, not, if one predictions were how states were decided. Well, <laughs> yes, which might be how they were well, I mean, well, back know. in the day. Uh, but no, so there are about 100 folks um, playing uh, playing the predictions game still throughout the, in the season, which, which is, is excellent. Fantastic. So thank you very much for those who've been taking part, and uh, we hope that you're having fun with it as we are. So I am average basically <laughs> out of those people i am yes. no better i i am exactly halfway uh just you know in between the best and the worst of those folks who are taking part uh you however are number one actually you are still you have 36 points for the season so far so even with your slightly odd oddball pr- uh prediction this time yes of alonzo still worked out fairly well for you yeah. could have gone yeah. a lot worse as did like my reagan last week for example <laughs> um and uh, and with 36 points, so so well done to you. And Thank you, also, sir. Um, and also, to read down to the top five real quick, uh, so it's you, Chris Stark, Scott Christie, um, Ryan Higgins, and Neil McIntosh, and Fraser McDonald is tied with Neil for fifth spot. So um, there you go. Do you think um, Scott Christie is related to Chris Christie, who is the governor of New Jersey? I'm going to guess no. Because that would be kind of cool. Statistically. It'd be like the son and or nephew of the governor of the state of New Jersey is predicting on our predictions page. That's awesome. That would be neat. Although I'm going to statistically guess that Chris uh, Scott Christie probably is an Australian 
because uh, you know the, of all the love and the outpouring of support for Ricardo on our page. I think there's a lot of pretty much everyone that follows us. It must be uh, Aussie. Ah, oh well, uh, uh, good day, Scott. <clears throat> or hey. Yes. Well, at this point, he's either Australian or New Jerseyan or New Jerseyite. I don't know how with the demonym for New Jersey. <laughs> Although I do know the word demonym and was able to I, use it just Hey, then. I know the word denim too. I, I wear a lot hey. of denim. Um, so, Singapore. moving forward, yes. Singapore. Rice I noodles. am <laughs> going to... <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> we have pizza in our future, sir. I love the Italian Grand Prix. I'm sorry. Even when it's not great, it's still pretty darn good. And then the meal afterwards, oh, oh, oh. Anyway, Singapore. I'm going to predict first. I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to predict first, and you can use my prediction and copy it because you want to be amazing like me. You're just going to go Vettel Vettel, aren't you? No. Oh. No. I've thought long and hard about this, and I have to admit there are some emotions that are playing a part in this prediction, but also a little bit of fact going on as well. I am going to predict... A young and hungry Lewis Hamilton to be on pole position, okay. which that might not seem like such a stretch to many, but I'm going to say that he holds on to that pole position and goes on to win the race. Now, evidence. I do have uh, Lewis Hamilton was on pole last year. Yes, that was in a different team, but clearly the guy knows how to get around. Um, and uh, Lewis's one win this year was from pole position in that uh, Mercedes-Benz, and I think um, he's going to be a little extra hungry from what we can call a bit of bad luck. Um, I mean, after all, uh, who was it that got uh, penalized? Uh, was it Sutil? Sutil got penalized for blocking um, Lewis Hamilton in Q2 of this last race. And uh, so Lewis could have gone on and done much better this race and in, in, had other things fallen. So I think Singapore is going to be a place where he can make it work. And I am now hoping that. Because it is the prediction has been made. Interesting. I uh, I like where where your head is. So I just pulled up uh, as you're talking the Wikipedia page for the Singapore Grand Prix. Did you know there was a Singapore Grand Prix from 1966 to 1973? I did not. Uh, I just, I yeah, that. duh. Because yeah, I know things. Interesting enough. <laughs> but uh, so previous winners: 08 Alonso, um, famously after the yes. uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. Infamously, crash really. mobile gate and all that. 09 Lewis Hamilton. Um, 2010 Alonso. And then 11 and 12 were Vettel in the Red Bull Renault both times uh, in the most recent seasons. Um, dude, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a bit boring, but, uh, I mean, Vettel and Red Bull are just on it right now. I know this is a very different track to Monza, and people are thinking, oh, the aerodynamics, they maybe not suit, you know, Red Bull may not be great at Monza. They were but awesome at Monza. Exactly. And there is just not a... a Monza, a, is, Monza is one of the extremes. Monza's one, Monaco's the other. Those are the two extremes. If you're if you're good at those two extremes, you're probably going to be good in between. Right, and of course we did have what Rosberg at uh, at Monaco this year, but still Vettel not far off the pace, and so on. Um, so yeah, lame as it is, I'm going to agree with Damien on this one. Uh, Damien did actually get it wrong this time, thinking that Hamilton would be on pole, and thankfully for that uh, was was you know, eleven uh, spots. It was you know, eleven spots, so I got ten points away from that. So I did gain some ground on Damien. Ha ha! Uh-huh, take that, Damien. I'm smarter than a spreadsheet sometimes. <laughs> Not in general, but in this particular case. <laughs> but no, so it's yeah, maybe it's a bit of a safe bet, whatever. But uh, I just really think, I mean, there's no reason to think that Vettel is not going to do well. What I do think may be interesting though is. Um, by the end of the season, 
if things continue on anywhere similar to how they are now, Vettel will probably have clinched the championship, or if not mathematically clinched it, sort of all but clinched it, you know, such that um, any result will, will do well for him. And as we get into the next few races, um, this is Weber's final year. He has not won a race yet. If they're in a position where they're one-two, do you think Vettel would do kind of a classy, um, classy move? Let him by, let Weber have one last kind of bit of glory, top step of the podium, um, you know, kind of thing. In probably maybe not Brazil, that's the very last one. Although that would be kind of cool if they were running that way. But you know, maybe uh, maybe Abu Dhabi, maybe in the U.S., something like that, to, as kind of a like, yeah, we kind of had some issues, blah blah blah. But now that you're really not a threat because I've already clinched the championship, and you're not going to be my teammate next year. But you know, just kind of. Try to try to win some hearts and minds. You think that may be a thing that Vettel would do? No. Okay. <laughs> nope, not at all. Uh, and uh, you know, I I I thought you were going to ask me if you think Mark can win one more race this year, and I guess in a way you kind of did. But uh, yeah, the a- answer still is no. It's it's just uh, it's it's a situation where it is. I'm very excited to see Mark in a Porsche next year. I think that's going to be sweet, and honestly, that will um, that alone will help pull me to pay much closer attention to the WEC next year. Also, so Dude, WEC is so cool. Well, we've got WEC, and we also have we had the, the six hours of Sao Paulo this past weekend. Dude. Well, I was yeah, but, watching that. Oh, but we God. also have uh, United Sports Car Racing yeah. now to watch, which is the combination of ALMS and Grand Am Racing. That to me is also um, a very cool thing to watch, and obviously that will have ties to yeah. WEC. And even so, IndyCar has been like a freaking circus lately. It's well, been crazy. Yeah. We talk about team rivalries, man. Penske versus Chip Ganassi and that whole thing. Yeah. So any, it's been yeah, it's been there's interesting stuff outside of F1. So, so last uh, last podcast, you did a very cool thing and said, okay, who who's going to be the next world champion that is not already a world champion? That I thought was cool. So to. To th- for this podcast, I decided I'm going to uh, respond in kind and give you a challenge. Okay. You, sir, are going to write the poem, and you're going to do it right now. And this is how this is going to work. Don't be too excited. Hold on. Stay calm. You are going to say a line, and I will say a line that rhymes with that line. And then you'll say another line, and I'll do the same again. And then in a few lines, we will have a poem made, and you, sir, will be the writer. Go ahead. Just like lap times in qualifying, with poems, shorter is better. Makes me want to write a letter. All right. Thank you very much, folks. That is all the time we have for this weekend. We are signing off. You will hear from us in two weeks with coverage of the Singapore Grand Prix. I am Jim Lau. Don't try to rhyme that as a poem. (laughs) We are done. I am not allowing this to continue. And I will keep talking somehow. That, I guess, yeah, okay. I'm totally going to edit the end of this off, by the way. this is We're in the music now. <laughs> I have that power, and I am using it. Makes me want to go for a row. Are you still driving me with loud now? <laughs> yeah, well, that? no. That's... No, that was somehow. Oh. And then you added a little bit at the end. Yeah. Why? No, why did you stop? That's not fair. I didn't even say I'm Robin Warner. Yeah, well, now you did. <laughs>